I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and this week, case studies. By request, yes, we're diving into the case studies for the time-starved athlete once again. And the reason for it this week is a couple of people reached out to me with questions focusing around time-starved training and plans. And while the questions focused on slightly different topics, I couldn't help but join the dots and see how they were aligned. Now, we're going to dive into those topics and questions in today's show. But the one thing that became apparent to me is that while people seem to be finally aware of training stress in the integration into their life, as well as the need for busy people to take a more pragmatic approach to their endurance training, it still seems that confusion reigns. And so the mission of today, try and help clear things up. We're going to do a deep dive into time-starved training of one of the toughest events to get ready for, the Ironman. Of course you say, yep, it's my expertise. But Today's show isn't just about triathlon. It just so happens that both of our case studies are triathletes. One, doing it really well. One, well, not quite so much. And so to gain the understanding, to evolve into education, I'm afraid we've got to rip one approach apart. But it's all in the quest of education. And then my hope is to showcase a slightly more pragmatic and longer serving approach that ultimately allowed great performance. And so today, case studies for the time-staffed athlete once again. But first, let's talk about poo. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, this week, the Word of the Week, it's a special one. It is Little Poo. Now, I might be opening up a can of worms in discussing a specific athlete, as so many of our athletes deserve accolades. Just go back to Laura Siddle and a tremendous three-peat just a couple of weeks ago at Ironman Australia. What more can I say, winning that race, a historic Ironman Australia, three years in a row. But I'm going to extend my leg a little bit. I'm going to talk about a different athlete today. And why? Well, occasionally, very occasionally, Something very special happens from a performance standpoint. Everything aligns and the athletes simply, well, they uncork. They put down a performance that ultimately the whole team is left open mouth by. This last weekend, Sarah Piampiano accomplished that at Ironman Brazil. Now, I knew it was special because my initial reaction to the race wasn't really about the win that she managed to secure or the ticket punch to the Hawaii Ironman World Championship, or even the course records that she smashed, bike course record, one run course record, overall course record. Instead, it was a deep satisfaction for her personal performance as an athlete. See, I realised that she had married her personal trained potential with the performance on the day. And I don't think that there could be a more satisfying feeling as a coach or an athlete And it really highlights the real reason driving the best athletes forward. 
At the weekend, she raced with a freedom I have yet to see her race, and also a bravery that didn't get wrapped up in the rest of the competition or paralyzed with an obsession of metrics and data. It was experienced and free-flown racing without fear of consequence or outcome if things didn't go right. But what were the lessons that we can draw from it? Well, I think it was nuanced, but a few aspects of Sarah's build-up to that race, I believe, led to her great breakthrough performance. The first, rest. She had, more than any other year, a huge block of 8-10 to weeks of greatly reduced training load after the last season. She's been training many years as a professional athlete, and we still retain purposeful structure but at a much lower global stress. And instead, we replaced some of that stress with speed and intensity all over the winter months when theoretically everyone's out there trying to build their base. But in Sarah's case, fatigue had crept up and it took courage to take a real clean out, albeit structured, but a real clean out. In fact, when she arrived at the Purple Patch Pro Camp at the end of January, she was by far by far the last athlete and yet here we are in May and that performance comes out capped off with a two hour and 53 marathon off the bike. The second approach was evolve the planning, a real shift in training approach. As Sarah creeps towards her 40s, sorry Sarah, it's true you're getting there sister, but as she creeps towards her 40s, ultimately there's a realisation that there's no shortcut to success. She still has to do the work but I think it's essential that she's pragmatic in her approach. So instead of the regular load of training, instead we really tried to cluster the hard work. And in between those little clusters of tougher days or tougher blocks of days, we had much more easy. The goal was to double down on recovery. And trust me, I know all about that being the recovery coach as I'm so labelled. But that was a key component. Yes, we still got to work hard, but we need more easy between. Therefore, we couldn't focus on the accumulation of total training hours. And the third, and this is one for Sarah to own because she deserves to own this. But the third was to smile more. You see, Sarah has never left any stone unturned in her pursuit of performance. But this year, I've noticed one key difference. She has truly had fun. Now, the rest and recovery helped. It allowed, enabled her to rid that layer of fatigue. But she's approached her training with a clear head and a pursuit of enjoying every moment. With only a few years left in the sport, why let it bypass you? No consequences, no outcomes feared. Instead, a simple joy of racing. Not being shackled by anyone else racing or too many metrics, but a simple embracing of the competition against herself. That's the key, against herself. And I believe that it made her body free to express itself. And so, yes, satisfying. Less for the win or the records but more for the joy of individual performance. She performed. And that is all we can ask for ourselves, no matter who else is racing or what happens. And that's why, as a proud coach, I can say that this week, the word of the week is Sarah Piano's little nickname, Little Poo. It's well-earned, sister. And now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes.
Yes, the meat and potatoes this week. And as promised, we're going to dive into a couple of case studies. Now, the aim is to assist those of you that are training for endurance sports all within that time-starved life. The first one is going to be anchored around recommendations to improve the recipe, while the second is going to be a review of a highly successful time-starved athlete that we've worked off in the past to get all the way up to the world champion level. Now, both of these guys happen to be male, number one, and they happen to be Ironman athletes, but the concepts apply to all, I promise. Now, for the first time on today's show, I'm going to utilize a case study of an athlete who's not actually a purple patch athlete. And in fact, he hasn't gone through any intervention yet. Instead, it's a study of a question that arrived at my desk last week. The question was, what do you think about this situation? Now, on a popular forum spread, there was a discussion around fatigue. And this is going to be a story of a classic time-starved and obviously highly ambitious and hardworking athlete who's training for an Ironman. And he's good, by the way. He's very, very close to qualifying for the Hawaii Ironman. And yes, that's its goal. But this case study, on my observations from only what I know, so I have to join the dots and lean on some of my experience here, but it looks to me like his recipe has a massive risk of failure or more. And so to answer the question that was put onto the desk, I thought, well, why not expand on the show? Why not talk about this? Because it's a wonderful case study of which we happen to see so often. And there's an opportunity in the case study that if the athlete evolves, I believe, and it's only my belief, but I believe they can evolve to much greater heights than their current approach. And so if, 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 the athlete hears about themselves on this show. I just, well, I hope it's a catalyst for at least thought or consideration. I don't mean to preach or simply tell you that your path is incorrect. I'm not standing up there as some holier than thou coach, but I hope that the advice included in today's show might at least be a consideration for a slightly evolved approach. But before we dive into that case study, I want to take the opportune time to actually go on a little tangent. And I want to respond to another question that came across my desk, as I think that this will provide context of both of our case studies today. Now, this question focused around what my feelings were about a couple of coaches releasing 10-hour training programs for Ironman athletes. And I thought, fantastic. But what we're going to talk about today is what I'm calling shrink it and pink it. You might have heard of that saying before. We'll talk about it in a second. But really what it's about is the 10-hour Ironman training plan. Well, for years and years, I saw coaches of all levels pumping out training programs for athletes that I felt, just my opinion, but I felt would create two paths for the majority of those athletes following. It would either be unsustainable within the context of their life and therefore they'd just fail to follow the program, not exactly confidence building. Or the second option is they might succeed in following the plan, but in doing so would run themselves into a gutter of fatigue, injury, and or low performance. And then suddenly, bing, a litany of Ironman plans on 10 hours a week. A positive move, I thought, was my initial response to the question on what I thought about these. Perhaps more sensible training for people with really busy lives. It's great. Let's keep going this way. So I decided to grab one or two of them. 
hopeful in all honesty, learning a thing or two, but also keen to see how others might approach the challenge of training for events within the context of that big thing that's chaotic called life. But unfortunately for the athletes, the plans reminded me of an age-old approach that used to consume the male-centric clothing manufacturers and designers. Let's shrink it and pink it. That'll do, ladies. What I mean by this is that the plans I reviewed clearly, simply took a hacksaw to a regular training program that was probably built on something like 18 to 22 hours a week of training and just trimmed the edges. Maybe a little more intensity in the week, but the rest of the plan was just a diluted normal training program. Now consider this as well. My gut in looking at the plan was that the original plan of 18 to 22 hours was probably just a diluted program of an elite athlete. So now suddenly we're left with this new magically labelled 10-hour plan that was just a diluted program of an originally diluted program from an elite. That's a lot of dilutes. It's almost turning into homeopathy. The key miss in creating programming for a time-starved life is that the solution isn't just about 10 hours nor 12 hours, nor 8 hours, or whatever. Simply shrinking weekly hours and expecting results isn't going to create performance readiness. Simply carving off hours off of a normal program, if we want to call it a normal program, is going to result in less training and less readiness. Even if we can feel a little bit more successful by hitting more of those sessions, we are going to be less trained. The key elements for a successful program for a time-staffed athlete have to be grounded more in taking a hacksaw to a normal program. You see, we have to realise and appreciate that, number one, life is chaotic. It ebbs and flows. And so ultimately, we want a response or a training program that isn't just set around a set number of hours. It wants to be dynamic and flexible so that it can align and adjust with what life brings us. Because life, as we always say, is not a spreadsheet. We also want to have a smart program that is anchored around key sessions of the week. So the ones that are really designed to move the performance needle and those need to be added up in the hierarchy and be valued more. And then we have other sessions in support. By having this approach, it enables a little bit of self-management of the athlete. And any program without empowering the athlete is ultimately not going to be successful. And then finally, thirdly, If we are reducing the available training hours, we have to shift the approach and think outside of the box. We can't just reduce the training hours and keep the focus of training the same. It isn't about doing more, but it equally isn't just about doing less. It's much more nuanced and requires a real optimization mindset for whatever time you do have in any given week. And so while I'm pleased to see the steps for many, There's more work to be done in these types of training programs to be truly effective. And that's why I have a pushback against this shrink it and pink it approach to time staff training plans. To be successful in endurance training within a really busy life, you've got to be willing to be flexible, adjust the overall approach to the training week, still ensure that you embrace recovery and the other key habits. That's a part of your program, not an afterthought. 
And we have to magnify the specific race-like fatigue through increasing intensity in many of the key sessions and then develop the resilience off the back of that magnified or accelerated fatigue approach. We're going to talk about that in our case studies. It isn't about reducing hours or diluting your NOMA approach. It isn't about taking a pros training program and diluting it because that will not equal success. It just equals less training. And so my ask is for coaches to use your effective coaching experience and your brains to develop true programming that is effective for people that do have chaotic lights. Don't just shrink it and pink it. Okay, sermon over. Let's get back to the main theme, the meat and potatoes case study. Now, for this, we're going to change his name. I want to try and be respectful as I can. And as I mentioned before, I don't know who we will label Bill. But for the sake of the show, Bill, you are the man. Now, here's a paraphrased outline of his challenge. And I want to point out, at the time of recording this show, Bill's about six to eight weeks from his key Ironman race. So he's obviously an Ironman athlete. He's about 40 years of age, he's got a family with children, and he's a teacher. He's very busy. And as I mentioned in the introduction, he's actually really pretty good. He's right on the edge of qualifying for the Hawaii Ironman as an amateur. So his report, his question that he put in, was basically these bullets. Number one, he understands that people feel tired when they're in full Ironman training, but this year, more than in the past, he just feels plain tired as a direct quote. He's hitting all of his workouts and he feels pretty okay when he's actually doing them, but for the challenge for the rest of the day, he's simply exhausted. Basically, he's walking around like a zombie. His work schedule is extremely tough and at least three times a week, he's getting less than six hours a week. His weekend sessions, he's getting up at 3 a.m. with some wake-up calls being at 2 a.m., just so that he can hit the long steady state session and in that way he can get all of his long hours in and still spend all day with his family. He does a lot of long steady state rides but pretty much all on the trainer with the mission and the goal of developing resilience to be ready for that long distance event, the Ironman. Now he's at the stage of asking himself should he push through Or should he back off? And he knows at the heart of it, he has very lofty goals. So he wants to break through the glass ceiling and get to another level of performance. And he believes in his heart of hearts that in order to get there, he's got to get the work in. Remember, Rocky Balboa, there's no shortcut to success. Now for me, the reason that I decided to expand this into a major part of the show is this is classic. And the key question we have to ask here is, is Bill getting a performance yield for all of his really dedicated work? There is no question. He is dedicated and he is working his tail off. But is he about to get his performance yield for that work? And of course, the answer is maybe. I'm not some shaman who can predict the future, but I simply cannot see how this is sustainable. And I also don't see, perhaps more importantly to Bill, I don't see how this is a pathway to high performance predictability, certainly in a month or two more of this. And I'm afraid 
that his risk of frustration on race day is way, way too high with his current recipe, and even more fearful that a poor performance would see Bill either doubling down on the harder work to try and get through that goal, I've got to work harder, I've got to find more time, or simply, ultimately, and I hope not, give up. But even more than this, I honestly worry, even though I've never met him, I honestly worry about his long-term health. This is beyond burning the candle at both ends. This is the risk of physiological damage and longer-term underperformance, and it is very strong. And you know who he reminds me of? It's like looking in the mirror, me. Because I think I'm a prime example of how to do a professional triathlon career really poorly. Now, obviously, he's committed. He's got great work ethic. And actually, he's seemingly, just like I was, resilient from a musculoskeletal standpoint. But the question is, is he really going to achieve massive performance boost in an environment of under-recovery and stress accumulation? I've got to say, I fear for Bill. And I fear for his results. But more than that, I actually fear for more damaging global fatigue. So, what would I suggest? What would I do in this scenario? Well, hopefully a few helpful things. But first, I think we have to take a step back, come up for perspective and provide context. And so let's go through a few things that actually really aren't opinions, but just facts. And then let's dive into the recommendations. So the first thing is, let's at least acknowledge that Bill is time starved. He has a family. And clearly, just from those bullet points, he has a family that he cares about. He doesn't want to just go out and train all day. He molds training around his family. So straight away, I can see that his family is important to him. He's also a teacher with a highly demanding job. And so that's going to demand a lot of energy and a lot of time from almost every day. Secondly, let's remember what the mission of training is for any athlete. Let's come all the way back rather than just trying to get into the details and say, hey, these are the recommendations of training. Let's take a step back. What's the mission of all of that hard work that he's doing? Ultimately, when you boil it down, is to arrive at races ready to perform, to break through the ceiling, to have that magical performance. And when we think about training, the mission or the aim is to maximize specific training load, while achieving positive adaptations, the big part of that sentence there, to maximize specific training load while achieving positive adaptations. So it isn't just about cramming training into life, but the goal is to maximize your training load while balancing all of the other stresses so that he can physiologically allow positive adaptations to occur, hence improve fitness, resilience, etc., hence thrive enough to perform when it really counts, which is, I hope you guys realise, on race day. The third component is we have to also acknowledge that those adaptations occur at rest, and particularly in sleep. Now, this is a physiological fact. We cannot avoid this fact. Our adaptations from our hard work occur when we are resting. It is a part of the puzzle that we have to acknowledge when we transition to recommendations for Bill. And finally, one that many of us don't like to ultimately acknowledge, but is true, remember this, you cannot beat physiology. The truth 
is that in high performance, toughness is not a differentiator. It's a prerequisite to great performance. But with this toughness comes also an undeniable truth. And that is that our mind cannot beat our body or our physiology over the long term. Overstress in a chronic state and a bad things happen every single time. If any athlete undervalues recovery for an extended time, you will be, well, at best, disappointed. And so with those things in mind, he's time starved, he's got a mission of training to create adaptations, we have to acknowledge that the adaptations occur in rest and recovery, and ultimately, none of us are bulletproof. We, we must find a recipe that is sustainable over the long term. That provides the framework in what I see. Well, in this case of Bill and the case study, we can't go into his supporting habits. Things like fueling, nutrition, integrated strength. We don't know from the case study what those habits are. So let's give him a bonus here. Let's assume for the sake of this case study that they're excellent, gold star in everything. So we're going to provide the benefit of doubt and focus only on training and recovery, two of the pillars. In this mindset, ignoring any potential hazards around fueling and hydration and eating habits, it is obvious to me that Bill is ultimately doing a few things. The first is he's trying to cram a more classic program into too few reasonable available training hours. So over the long term, this simply cannot be successful. Maybe, just maybe, he'll have a good race in a few weeks. But in all honesty, I doubt it. And I would be more surprised if the race is special and less surprised if he's just frustrated. Now, we also see and have to realise that Bill is already really fit and that's just from the seasons of training that he's done in his prior racing experience. He recognises that he just missed the Hawaii Ironman in his last attempt at qualification. And so he must be really fit. And he's already done a lot of work up to this point in his training. And so I would argue that the platform is at least relatively established. And so his chased next level is likely available for the taking. It's not mythical. It's practical. And it's approachable, but not with this fatigue-inducing and system-suppressing regime that is following under right now. And thirdly, I think that Bill has a wonderful opportunity to evolve and actually ultimately potentially rescue his current performance. I would even argue that beyond just his training and racing performance, I think that he can evolve to improve his global life. And that extends and I'm going to make a little bit of a leap here, but that extends to likely having more energy, happier within the family environment, and being present, or at least more present, with both the family and the kids that he guides in the classroom. Now, I am making some assumptions here, and in no way, no way, no way, am I trying to be critical of things that I just don't know. But, what I do see is repeating patterns across athletes and his recipe certainly fits the mold of underlying less preferable life performance if there ever was one. And so my leap of faith here is that by evolving his program, I think that not only 
could he improve and increase performance globally. But I think that there can be a knock-on effect to having more energy, clearer focus, and be more present in the other aspects that are critical, I would argue more critical, than his triathlon performance. But of course, it's easy for me to sit in the high castle and pontificate. So let's get into details. How? What could Bill do here? Well, the first thing, and there are, you'll be glad to hear, several things I think he can do. But the first thing is what would be to adopt what I would call an optimization mindset. And so come up a level. And the first thing that I would have Bill do is go through and navigate an exercise that we've talked about on the show before. Now, it's a little nuance for Bill, but the process I would have him do at this phase is to say, okay, firstly, let's set your unmovable commitments that anchors around work, family, and other aspects of life. And then I would want Bill to establish his required sleep. Now, the absolute baseline for him on any given night would be seven hours, but ultimately eight hours should be the initial mission that he should aim for. Can we sneak eight hours, six or seven days of the week? And then the third step of the process, but not the final step of the process, is to identify the time slots that he has left over for his training availability. Now, he's not done in this situation. Because I think Bill should then think about a couple of other things. The first is, is there anywhere in those available slots, maybe once or twice weekly, where he can just edge the barrier a little? No more than twice a week, but just stretch 30 to 60 minutes of additional time or duration of training. So maybe a couple of days a week that he sneaks it down to seven hours a week of of sleep. And maybe he just eats up a little personal time as his ramp in his ramp into his Iron Man, where he doesn't have just downtime for himself, just to rest and relax. But he just sneaks in a little thirty minutes, maybe a little couple of fifteen to twenty minute runs, just little extra padding that he might be able to sneak in, only once, maybe twice a week, no more than that. The second part of this is then what I would encourage him to have a discussion with the family. See, ultimately, I think it would be a wonderful aim to really create a collaborative framework that ultimately is more effective for all. Rather than him committing to self-destruction weekly with 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. wake-up calls every single week and then carrying, in all likelihood, low-level zombie-like experience throughout the rest of the day, perhaps there's a way to shift the approach where it works more effectively for all. And that might be something like establishing one monthly weekend probably no more than two monthly weekends, but one to maybe two weekends a month where Bill can actually sleep in and rejuvenate from the rigors of the week of work, but be gone all morning on a really important bike ride and run. Now that session, he gets to call his block. And maybe even if it's just one weekend in the month, he gets to do a double, the special weekend, only one monthly, but the double ride weekend and still have all afternoons with the family, but be able to be present and also be rejuvenated from that extra sleep that he gets. But then the counterbalance is all of the other weekends. He's only starting his training at five or six o'clock in the morning if, if possible, but just doing a couple of hours, two to three hours of a key workout. Skip the 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. and instead 
optimize those sessions that are two to three hours in duration. Now, we'll talk about how in a minute. So that optimization mindset established, that's the first part of the intervention. But the second part really takes courage for him. This is going to take a leap of faith. Beyond this weekly recipe that he's established, where now he's got his key sessions, maybe once a month, he's got a big double ride weekend, but on a regular basis, he's got overall less training hours because he's going to prioritize sleep. I then have him go a step further. About every 10 to 14 days, I want him to put in little mini blocks of rest, a real chance to do very, very light training and rejuvenation. Now, that might be one or two days of very, very easy work and then have a third day, which is actually very short, but very high intensity, max effort intervals, something like six 10 second sprints at absolute max with only 50 seconds rest, little bit of endurance between and then six by one minute absolute max effort with 300% recovery, three minutes rejuvenation. In fact, this is a wonderful tool that you can use about five days out of a race. Very, very hard when you're adopting an optimization mindset. That little bit of spice and intensity about every third week, about the start of every third week, is the third day of two to three days of very, very light rejuvenation. Giving himself a little bit of space just to breathe and rejuvenate. And then about every third weekend, take one day, one day to clean out completely. Sleep, family, and just maybe, maybe, perhaps a little bit of a rejuvenation type training. Maybe just a short, easy run, just to clear the mind. No metrics, no power, no speed, no heart rate. The rejuvenation that occurs with this, turning your back on the sport, giving yourself space, is just going to optimize the rest of the training program over the following two and a half to three weeks. The third component then is, of course, where we get to the nitty gritty. How do we set up the remaining training time for optimization? So if we take a step back, we've just asked Bill to go through an optimization exercise to really identify blocks of time to become more collaborative with his family. And then beyond that, take little blocks of rejuvenation, adding a little bit of spice and intensity within there. And then once every three weeks or so, absolutely turning his back on the sport. What the hell you say? All you've done is pulled stuff away. So how am I supposed to get more performance ready with slightly less training hours? Well, let's go through this. Part three of the intervention. What's he missing? It's true. He's missing large mileage. He doesn't have tons of hours. And so Bill's back is proverbially against the wall. He has to find another way. But it isn't just about throwing intensity. You see, throwing intensity will increase the physiological stress, but we also want to retain as much as possible race rehearsal or what we would call race specificity. And so there's a few ways that we go about it in Bill's case. The first is a lot of strength endurance work. That means on the bike, heavy, heavy riding at a strong effort at low cadence. This is a wonderful developer of resilience and muscular endurance and particularly valuable for those in a time-starved training schedule. Number two, I would add a ton 
of variance. Variance means a mix of very high and very low stress. In fact, we would spend quite a short period of time actually specifically at the race intensity that is going to be utilizing on race day. Instead, we look for high variety with a variety of load, cadence, and even terrain. The third, if it's easily accessible, and it's not for everyone, but if it's easily accessible, lean into the swim. The benefit of swimming is it creates very low muscular load, and so you're actually able to hit high intensity more often with no real muscular imprint. And so this is a good tool for overall conditioning and even the time-staffed athletes should be swim fit if it is possible within the schedule. And then here we come to the race-specific part. We want to lean into a concept that I've started to label accelerated fatigue. Accelerated fatigue, that doesn't sound very nice. Yes, look, race specificity is important. But if you cannot get there through the big, big mileage, then a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking might help. So an example of this is on the bike ride, rather than Bill getting up at two o'clock in the morning and spending five hours in time trial position right around race intensity, on those sessions of the week where he's only doing two to three hours, instead, which by the way I should note, is a lot of training hours for people, we would warm him up very briefly and then we'd have him go through a series of very hard intervals that create great duress very quickly. Cardiovascular and muscular stress, three by five minutes, all in with four minutes recovery. But then coming off of that, hit his steady state Ironman race effort for 30 to 40 minutes. That is a load. The goal is to settle with great form, great posture, great pedaling, and even a little bit of cadence variation if he's sitting on the trainer. A couple of rounds of this dirtiness, and then a little bit of fast running off the bike into an Ironman pace, what we call a pace pyramid into Ironman, all wrapped up in two and a half hours, and a big, big bang for the buck. In his running, similar type of concept, but we do it as strength-based hills, very hard, but not anaerobic, strong intervals that then we go onto the flats and hit some endurance Ironman type race pace. And we want to do that by feel, training the inner animal where he can feel Ironman race pace with the accelerated fatigue that it feels like it's going to feel on race day. There's a lot of feeling in this, isn't there, guys? The key component to this is we want to get the athlete to the resilience stage quicker. And the only way to do it is strength-based running or very, very strong intervals on the bike. Now with this concept, people struggle with it. How am I gonna be ready for the 112 miles, 180K by doing the high intensity? But it's the consistency over many, many weeks and months with this type of higher intensity training that does produce the yield and will certainly have you better prepared than just the slow burn of accumulated fatigue and completely underrested. So ultimately, we're not talking about this being the magic recipe for every athlete in the world. What we're discussing is the appropriate recipe with out-of-the-box thinking for the person that is time-starved. Okay, let's carry on. What else can he do? Well, number five, he really wants to be up for and hit what we would call the Big Bang sessions. And he wants to be fresh enough to hit them with an all-in attitude. 
But that means he must still maintain the courage to go really easy when asked. You see, when total hours drop for an athlete, the tendency is to bring the bottom up, to ultimately make all of them hard. But this solution is only going to create the same fatigue challenge as his original issues. And so we have to still polarize the sessions. We have to go all in on the big sessions, probably twice a week, with maybe one endurance session on the back end of those. But the rest of the sessions have to remain relatively easy or at least low stress. And finally, he has to commit to the courage of pragmatism. Perhaps the most important of all of this, I would encourage him to stop using things like TSS and Bill, I know you use TSS, I know you track those metrics, but I would stop using them at least as a driver of your success. I also wouldn't be obsessed about tracking hours or total mileage, at least of barometers of your success in training, because in your life, it's not helping you. You see, smart stress scores simply still don't take into account your life stress or lack of recovery. And there's nothing about them more than simple conversation starters. So instead, yes, feel free to track them a little bit, but instead have the conversation with yourself daily and be startlingly honest on how you're going. And if you really need to have it, then take the courage and then lean in and wait a day for the big session so that you can make the big session more effective. It's not that we need to be afraid of fatigue because that's part of the journey, but we do need to embrace the simple fact that life will sometimes bring well-needed rest days. And so if we're listening and we're pragmatic, we have to embrace them without guilt. You see, let's come back. Effective training is about maximizing specific training load while achieving positive adaptations. So, Bill, I hope that this helps you. And so, guys, I hope that this story helps you. I hope it provides most context, but particularly, in all honesty, I hope it helps Bill, and I hope it goes on to thrive. But before we get all doomy and gloomy, and we think about overstressing and underperformance, let's finish and let's revisit one of our classic case studies. You see, I want to come back and think about what is possible. And I want to talk about an old friend of mine, a long-time Purple Patch athlete, and a guy that you might well know, Sami Inkinen. Now, you might know Sami, but many won't. And by all accounts, Sami is really, I would say, a poster boy of the time-starved athlete. I will say, frustratingly, he's annoyingly good-looking, very charming, caring, successful, fun, all of the ingredients. But he is, without doubt, a very busy guy. He's well-known in the tech world. He was the co-founder of Trulia, the real estate search engine that he took from concept to public over a few years. And he's gone on to now lead the highly respected and groundbreaking company Verta Health. And their mission is to reverse type 2 diabetes. Yes, a big challenge, quite a lofty goal. But so far, they're having simply astonishing results. Well, interspersed with these two journeys, I work with Sami on his side hobby of triathlon. Now, with his wife and children, he was clearly time starved. And yet, some of Sami's results were quite stunning. 
He's done Ram, the race across America. He's gone under nine hours at the Hawaii Ironman, was an amateur world triathlon champion. He won prestigious races such as Wildflower, Oceanside, Santa Rosa 70.3, the Alcatraz Triathlon, and more. He's finished the Alt Route, the Trans Alps mountain bike race, Leadville. Oh, and there's that little row across the Pacific from San Francisco to Hawaii, all self-supported, which is he and his wife, Meredith. Oh, an incredible athlete. And seldom on his triathlon journey was he ever training more than 10 hours a week. 10 hours a week? Yep. If interested, in fact, most of it's tracked and logged and discussed really openly. He has it in his blog. You can go there. SamiInkanen.com will throw it in the show notes. Now, what you should be jumping up and down and shouting right now is, yep, all right, great, bully for him. But surely Sammy is just a gifted athlete. And the answer to that is absolutely. There is a reason that I call him Sammy the Bull. He has lungs of a rhinoceros. He is gifted. But it's also the case that 8 to 12 hours a week of training for a triathlon is not necessarily the optimal plan for everyone. Otherwise, every Purple Patch Pro athlete would simply do 10 hours a week. But instead, it was optimal for Sami within the context of his life. In other words, if I threw 16 hours a week of training, his recovery, health, work, life and sport performance would all have likely suffered. And so what we had to do with Sami, similar to what I'm calling for with the action with the very talented Bill, is to take a pragmatic approach and shift to optimization. And so what I wanted to peel back is a few of the little tricks that we had up our sleeve that we implemented over the many, many months and many years. You see, Sami managed to sustain performance and do a lot of things over many years, all the while co-creating Trulia and going on a journey from concept to public. And so how in the heck did he do this? He wasn't some mystical athlete. He had a big set of lungs, but pragmatism was absolutely key. So what were the secrets? Well, number one, consistency. He was incredibly consistent over many, many months and years. His mission, in many ways, was homeostasis, but he could only apply that or achieve it with pragmatism. He also really embraced some out-of-the-box thinking very much against the grain in his training approach. On the bike, we would do a tough session of very hard strength endurance or low repetition work on the bike every single week. And that was a real challenge. We also interspersed that with a maximal effort, short interval session about bi-weekly. And that's because on the opposing weeks, it was the same type of session in running. Very short, high power. And then on the weekend, it wasn't just about accumulating miles. He simply didn't have the hours. So instead, we spent a lot of time with accelerated fatigue, doing above race pace intervals, driving for resilience and sustainability well above the power and the output that he would achieve on race day. In the run, he did a lot of strength-based running, one key session a week, really to develop big resilience at 4 to 6% grade. He also implemented a lot of very short runs, but we did those very short runs very often. Even if it was 15 minutes, we thought it was a great way to just train muscular and neurological conditioning, a big resilience build without going long. 
And then bi-weekly, as mentioned before, we hit some very, very high intensity training, very short intervals, no more than about a minute in duration. The final component, plyometrics and strength, so that we could have resilience, good supportive structure, and of course, power. He honestly did very limited over-distance work. In the swim, he was one of those guys where swimming wasn't practical, and so we had to sneak it in. Every swim that he did was very short, and very hard, at best two to three times a week. But we would always double up those swims with one of those sneaky runs. And then finally, periodic volume. You see, it's a myth that we never did miles. We did, but we simply had to achieve them by taking the opportunity when it came. And that meant very periodic or sporadic training camps where we could cluster mileage, or slightly more frequent, about every five to six week, a little weekend escape where he could achieve two to three big rides and double up. And then ultimately, pragmatism. You see, he never, and I never had to coach him on this, Sami never chased hours and never chased metrics. He loved tracking and recording and looking for lessons, but he never chased them. And he was always courageous enough to skip and embrace sleep if truly needed. I never had to press on the requirement of recovery. Now, interestingly, since our time working with each other, I would reflect that both Sami and I independently have probably found ways that had we got to do the journey again, we probably could have evolved and improved. I think Sami would have in all likelihood evolved his fueling approach and no, it wouldn't have been a sugar-free, olive oil-based race strategy. Think again on that one. And myself, I could actually think about a few ways that maybe I would evolve some of his training. So while the success was great and it was a wonderful partnership, it was really down to his pragmatism and diligence that created a wonderful opportunity for learning for many, myself included. But when we come back and we reflect, as is always the way, I still think we could have got a lot faster. You know what that is? That's good news for you guys that are training right now. We still haven't found best speed in a time-starved environment. And so Sami's story isn't a call for us to simply try and mimic him or all of us to lower our training hours, but instead to have the courage to find the appropriate recipe for us within our own lives. You see, big personal performance can happen with pragmatism. And yet, Sam is a poster guy for it. But there are many, many more who succeed and thrive within the context of life. And so, my friends, that's a wrap. No questions for this week. I promise more questions next week. And so, remember... Feel free to ask your questions if you want to ask about any aspect of performance or your own journey. Simply head to the website purplepatchfitness.com forward slash podcast and there's a wonderful form that you can fill out and it goes right to us. We want to hear from you. We'd love your inquiry. Until then, get some rest, train smart. We look forward to having another roundtable session next week. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, 
You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers.